This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Gunner Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal Transfer Show. Joining you every morning at 8 a.m. UK time. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. Thank you, as always, for making this a part of your morning routines. It is very much appreciated. You join me the morning after Arsenal's 2-0 defeat to Manchester United in their second tour game of the US trip uh, in what was a frustrating uh, kind of at points kind of boring <laughs> uh, game uh, in uh, in New Jersey uh, last night and uh, certainly one uh, well it, it woke I think a lot of people up maybe to a certain few aspects of pre-season I think it grounded us somewhat as well and I think it answered some really important questions and raised some new ones as well which we're going to talk about in depth in today's show but good morning to those all joining us as always, it is very much appreciated. I hope that you've had a good weekend so far and you're hoping that it's going to continue in a positive sense as well. Um, I do want to kick off by saying, of course, that, you know, those those almighty uh, everlasting words of it is only pre-season. Uh, and I know that you're probably sick of people telling you that, especially for those that are very much like, oh, we need to win every single game in pre-season and that. And look, I think it's really beneficial if you can win every single game because it gives you momentum. It gives you go like that, that push. Um, but it is important to remember, and it's certainly important to give yourself a bit of perspective about, you know, these types of fixtures, um, what you learn from them, the changes that are going to be made. And, uh, you know, also, I think the context of a game and how your opponent plays against you and what that shows you as well gives you plenty of insight into what can happen in the future. I think Man United laid all their cards on the table yesterday, whereas Arsenal didn't. Um, and I think maybe that's something we'll talk about in a bit more detail shortly. Okay, let's move to the chat box then, Mr. Arsenal. Good morning to you, to Steve, to Blackshine. Uh, good morning to Matt G, to Pinny Wing. Good morning to Red Star, Paul, Barry, Darbas. Uh, we've got Elder Boatza. We've got Tony. We've got Odirile. We've got Stephen Kaiser. 
uh, deep quiet chat. We've got uh, Steve Stone and Mike and Jose and plenty more of you guys joining us in the chat box as well. It is Sunday. It is always very much appreciated. Those that tune in for the live show on a Sunday, uh, you show great commitment on a day where, let's be honest, it's very difficult to get out of bed. I was up until the very early hours last night working and so putting this show together and getting it out to you at the normal time is certainly probably more of a challenge than even Martinez was able to put on to Bakaya Saka yesterday. So if you could drop a like on the video and subscribe, that would mean a hell of a lot. Right then, let's jump into today's uh, slides. And we kick off, of course, by the discussion surrounding Arsenal's loss against Manchester United in what was, as you can see from the image, a very physical clash between the two sides. At least it was from Manchester United side of things. Um, there was a tweet at the start, I think, from the Man United a Twitter account that said, we don't play friendlies. And that certainly seemed to be the case as they approached the game in a very physical and, uh, you know, at points, uncomfortably so kind of way. Um, Lissandra Martinez's tackle on Bakaya Saka was borderline ridiculous. And as Arteta pointed out in his post-match press conference, it is on... Um, well, it is on the manager, sorry, the referee to make sure that he, like others, referees the game in a way in which we know that we are going to see players protected, especially in what is a preseason game. It's also one of the reasons why I've never been too keen on playing other Premier League sides, um, you know, in preseason. I think there's something to be said about the tactical side of what that can sometimes bring to you these games, you know, the opportunity to quote-unquote have a free shot at your opponent because you don't get as many yellow cards. You aren't as refereed as harshly in these games. And I've always been a little bit sceptical. You know, games against foreign sides like we've got next week against Barcelona, you know, these are great exercises for us. But I always did feel as though there was always a risk when you go up against other Premier League teams in pre-season, especially ones that you're a rival of as well, because uh, it does open up the possibility for these types of moments. And the Martinez challenge certainly was one of them. Uh, I think there was a Harry Maguire challenge on Martin Odegaard in the second half that really riled up, um, you know, really riled up uh, Mikel Arteta and, and for good reason. And Arteta spoke after the game as well and he was asked about kind of the, the physical nature. He says, uh, they are here to compete and to win, as are we. It's the job of the referee to stop uh, the physical side of things uh, that was going on. But uh, overall, the performance was a little bit timid. It started off really, really well. First 20 minutes of the game, we were dominant in control. And if Arsenal have managed to carry that on throughout the game, I'm sure that they would have won that. However, they weren't able to continue that dominance and control. And Manchester United were clinical on the break. The first goal coming from Bruno Fernandes, uh, again on the counter, uh, Arsenal playing out from the back, losing the ball, Man United come back. And as Declan Rice pulls into the space in the left half, uh, in the half space on the left-hand side to kind of cover off uh, what was a run down the right flank, it meant that with the new Arsenal structure, it left a, a big gaping hole through the middle for which Bruno Fernandes struck. Now, Ram Ramsdale has faced kind of uh, a lot of focus because of this goal, and rightfully so. I think he should and can do better. We've seen him do better with opportunities like this. It is a difficult shot in the sense that it dips right at the goalkeeper before bouncing past him, but he does get enough contact on it that he should be probably pushing it round the post. I did have some uh, wise guys tweeting me after the game, after the game saying, "Didn't you say Ramsdale's world class?" Yes. Very easy to jump onto social media and <laughs> direct a tweet in my direction after a friendly game and one shot in a game where, you know, it's a moment, it's a tricky shot, but 
I don't tend to define a player's world class on one save. Don't know about you, but some do, clearly. Moving forwards, though, and looking at some of the individual performances, Bakaya Saka, I think we can all agree, is and was the most bright spark that we had throughout that game and has been throughout the course of this season. It looks like Saka is going to be, without a doubt, our most threatening asset. Uh, His right foot is getting much better as well. And I know that it was already good as well. And he scored some fantastic goals and has done with his right foot. But his crossing is driving at the opposition. He had Luke Shaw on toast every single time that he ran at the defender. He was coming out on top and very rarely did he end up losing possession. Uh, We created some great chances in the early positions as well. Gabriel Martinelli should absolutely have scored. He had the opportunity to score, but his tame shot in the end gave Tom Heaton enough time to get back across his goal. But that should be going in the back of the net. And the follow-up should have also been going high over the goalkeeper into the back of the net as well. So... That was disappointing that we couldn't take that opportunity. There was a chance for Eddie and Ketty in the second half, what we'll talk about a little bit about more so uh, in a bit too. But Arsenal had a chance to take the lead and take control of the game in their favour. They didn't take them. And certainly that will be uh, in focus once again when we come around to the next fixture is can Arsenal take their chances and do they allow the team to get back into the game if they don't make their early dominance pay. Now, in part of that really impressive 20 minutes, I thought was the standout performance of Urian Timber. I thought he really impressed me with his technical ability running inside, dropping in between the two centre-halves, supporting Bakaya Saka, some quick movements and quick interchanges of play. I was really excited to see Timber come onto the field and play in the role that he did. We saw him play with two different left-backs. Tommy Asu played in the first half. And of course, um, Kieran Tinney played in the second half. I thought there were some really harsh criticisms of Tommy Asu in the first half. I really enjoyed some of what Tommy Asu did, actually, especially moving forwards. I thought his kind of him playing out from the back was really good. There were some good switches of play, good movement of the ball from Tommy Asu. And in the second half, I also thought Tinney did well progressing the ball forwards also. I thought there were some really good moments with both, <clears throat> with both kind of left backs on the field. So that was certainly one to look out for. But Timber, overall, I thought was very, very impressive indeed. Now, someone who wasn't necessarily as impressive was, of course, Kai Havertz, um, who I thought had a struggling performance. Um, I think I need to always caveat these discussions around Kai Havertz at the beginning of these with the context of the situation. Whereas Gabriel Jesus, you know, joined Arsenal last summer off the back of a Premier League win, playing at the top of his game, scoring goals for fun at the end of the 21-22 season. Kai Havertz has come off the back of obviously three very difficult years with Chelsea and he's now in a new system and a new team playing a new role, a relatively new role. It's not completely new, but it is certainly one that he has to find his footing in, find his flow in. And that is going to take some time and that's why we are going to persist with it for the moment. And that there is something about the languid style of his game. Um, His defensive numbers come out really strongly, but I would like to see a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Commitment. I'm not sure commitment's the right word, but I would like to see a little bit more application, I suppose is probably a better term to use, of his abilities. And there's, there's absolutely all the talent in the world, in this player. And Arsenal, I think, have made a very good investment. It's just about how we extract that quality and how we get that quality out of him. 
And that's what's going to be key moving forwards for Havertz is this system with Rice and with Erdegaard in midfield and how we work it with the fullbacks and with the wide players as well is how he fits into the team. The more he plays, the more minutes he gets. That's what I want to be able to see raised and hopefully he keeps and continues to do that. He's going to get plenty of people doubting him, which is only natural. It's the way forwards. It's like Arsenal fans have got a, a very good ability to do that. But I just hope that he responds to these um, uh, these doubts and these criticisms and we see a better Havertz in the weeks to come. So let's wait and see how that happens. Declan Rice, in terms of his performance, I thought he was solid in the first half in particular. I thought, you know, there were only moments where we looked vulnerable was because of kind of the structure of the defence. As I talked about, Bruno Fernandes, waltzing into that space outside of the box unchallenged was because Declan Rice was covering over on the left flank and we usually have two deeper-minded midfielders. Now, a lot of people turned around and said, you know, we look defensively vulnerable and I'm kind of concerned. Now, I think going into these games against Manchester United and teams like this, Arsenal might be more minded to use both, uh, both Rice and Partey, in which case these kind of spaces won't open up because you'll be able to have both Rice and Partey playing together in these types of games. When Arsenal are going to have a lot more of the ball and going up against teams like Nottingham Forest, that's when I think you can be a little bit more throwing caution to the wind, using Havertz, using Trossard, using Odegaard as dual attacking midfielders in those games. But when we come up against a side that are more combatable um, and are more... Uh, offensively threatening. I think that's where you can use Rice and Partey as a two. And then you won't see Rice uh, kind of pulled out of certain positions and our uh, midfield space is exposed. So I think that that is the type of dynamic that we are, or rather we should see more so in these types of games against some of the better teams in the Premier League. But we'll have to wait and see if there's any changes from that. Uh, now, uh, the Mikel Arteta following Balogun discussion is one that I certainly raised on social media yesterday after the game. I tweeted out a question mark, which got quite a lot of attention, it's probably fair to say. Uh, the question that I asked was, uh, I have to ask the question of what Arteta believes in. Ketia has shown uh, him that he is willing to invest the time into him instead of giving the minutes to Balogun, who has come off a brilliant season and could have done little more. Behind the scenes is my only guess. Now, I do want to caveat this tweet last night with the context that Arteta provided in his post-match press conference, which is always important to do. Arteta was asked about the latest on the striker situation because Ballingen didn't play. And Arteta said, yes, we have some options up front and I wanted to load some players. That's why some players didn't have any exposure, but they will in the next game. So the next game, I think, is when we can start to have that real proper discussion about Balogun's situation. If indeed Balogun gets less than a half of football against Barcelona, that's when I think I'll really jump on the train of this is a concern and certainly raises a debate for me. After the game, I was a little frustrated, obviously, with the result as well. I think that Nketiah's missed opportunity, which, you know, Balogun missed chances too against Nuremberg. But I just felt as though the game needed something different from the striker. I didn't think Nketiah was offering... All that much, to be honest, with respect. I just didn't think that there was any real genuine threat with him in the side. It just didn't feel like, you know, we had that number nine on the field that was going to really change things. Whereas Balogun, when he came on against Nuremberg, yes, he missed those two chances, but the movement that he had in those in that game where he got in behind, he was threatening, you know, he hit the post at that first opportunity. He was running in behind, creating chances himself. I just had a little bit of a question mark about why not to use him but 
I will hold that kind of judgment. I will reserve that judgment for the Barcelona game. And if Balogun starts that game, then, you know, I can happily hold my hands up and take all these comments back because then it will certainly be that Arteta was changing the load on different players. I'm intrigued to see what the lineup is for that game against Barcelona, if indeed the game does go forwards, because despite, um, you know, there's been some issues. They cancelled their friendly against Juventus. There's been a bit of an illness going around um, the Barcelona camp, but um, there are suggestions I saw last night that the game hopefully will be going ahead as planned. So there isn't a concern at the moment enough that the game could get cancelled, but we'll have to wait and see how that indeed does affect things. Uh, Namish says, so you finally agree that Enketia is not good enough for the level we want to compete at? I don't get this comment at all. For those that have watched the channel for quite a significant amount of time will know that I have always, always had question marks about Enketia. I think that I've used the analogy of the Julian Alvarez example on this channel this past year more than any other analogy when talking about Arsenal's squad, when talking about Balogun, when talking about the dynamic of Arsenal challenging for a title. It does get frustrating when people pick and choose certain aspects of what I decide to talk about. But it is what it is. I can't expect everyone to be perfect, I guess. Moving to transfers, though, and David Ornstein reporting yesterday that clubs apparently have raised concerns over Sam Maximan's £30 million deal to Saudi Arabia. We don't know if Arsenal are one of these clubs, but we do know that a number of Premier League sides have indeed raised concerns with the league about the idea of Newcastle inflating transfer fees. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't personally think that £30 million is a reflective transfer fee of Alan Saint-Maximin, who has missed a significant amount of football and has, to be honest, shown a lot of... He's got a lot of show, but not much go as a player, is how I would describe him. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of Nicola Pepe, I actually think, you know, about Alan Sam Maximan, if you like. And the £30 million deal has certainly raised questions somewhat surrounding uh, how this will affect clubs like Arsenal and if Newcastle's ability to inflate transfer prices is going to have an impact on their ability to comply, uh, comply with FFP. So this is a story to keep your eyes on moving forwards. And the main transfer story to discuss today before we move to part two and your questions is that Chelsea, according to David Ornstein, again, have agreed personal terms with Mohamed Kudus. Uh, Arsenal are said to be interested in the player. And Charles Watts reported yesterday as well that that interest from Arsenal indeed is real and that there is uh, kind of Arsenal have themselves an interest in trying to sign the player but Chelsea look to be ahead in the race at the moment um, because they've agreed on the personal side with the player and now they've approached the Dutch side about trying to agree a fee will this scare Arsenal away Arsenal aren't a side that in the past have tended to want to compete with other teams of players but they did do that with Declan Rice they you know uh, they were really strong in going in for Havertz and in for Timber, which kind of put off teams like Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and, and others. Um, but they did manage to beat Manchester City to Declan Rice. Will they compete with Chelsea for Mohamed Kudus? We will have to wait and see. There is something of the peeping Todd Bowley um, kind of, you know, copying transfer targets again, whilst Chelsea continue to be without real direction from a sporting director standpoint. But Let's let's wait and see uh, what happens regarding Mohamed Kudus and, of course, Chelsea as well. Um, to be fair, it does say that the agreement is close on personal terms. So uh, we are close with that agreement, just to give a caveat to that report. So in terms of Chelsea, close to agree. 
personal terms with Mohammed Kudus. So there you go. Right, uh, let's go to part two and your questions right after this. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Tickets are, of course, still on sale uh, for our live event in London on the 13th of August, the Sunday, the day after the game against Nottingham Forest. You can join myself, Harry Simeon, FK, Mike Feinberg and Bailey Keogh at the Mild May Club in North London uh, near Highbury uh, to be talking about the first game of the season, of course, the summer transfer window and playing some fun and games whilst answering some of your questions as well. I'm looking forward to seeing plenty of familiar faces and some faces I've never seen before, but I've wanted to for quite some time. So, if you haven't already got your tickets, uh, make sure you go to the link down in today's video description. Right, let's go to your comments then and tackle some of these questions. Uh, Reese says, Tom, would you get rid of Nketiah and Balogun for Vlaovic? No, I would keep Balogun and let go of Nketiah. Uh, CJ Dan says, Arteta's arrogance will cost him too many players as blind faith in and others who are arguably much better. He shows no love to arrogance. I always kind of struggle with that word. Um, I think if you said Arteta's loyalty will cost him, maybe that we can have a discussion about that. But arrogance? It's a bit of a strange word. It's a really strange word to describe loyalty towards certain players, bearing in mind that Arteta's supposed arrogance has taken a squad from where it was that he lifted out of the ashes, let's be honest, and won an FA Cup with, completely overhauled it and took it to a title challenge with the best team this league has probably ever seen in the space of just three and a half years. So I don't really get the arrogance question. I think that's a that's the, very much the wrong word to use in this scenario. Um, Yassine says, does Gabriel Jesus have some playing style as lacquer? We need someone to bang in the goals. Um he scored 11 Premier League goals last season with two-thirds of a season played. He missed half of it, which is more than Dusan Vlaovic managed for Juventus, which ironically is a player that a lot of people would like to see replace Gabriel Jesus. I think there is an over-exaggeration of kind of the finishing side of things. Um, I think there is a, a massive over-exaggeration with Gabriel Jesus' finishing. The guy can score goals, does score goals, scored a great goal um, against the MLS All-Stars as, as little as three days ago. I don't really see um, kind of the the stylistic comparison. Lacazette was asked to play a certain style under Arteta, which I think is why people maybe see 
some similarities, but trust me, Lacazette was kind of adapting to play what Arteta wanted, hence why he got rid of him, hence why he played a very different style and scored lots of goals for Leon because Leon played a system that suited Lacazette, whereas Lacazette wasn't necessarily a system or under a coach that wanted, that was looking to kind of get the best individually out of him. Gabriel Jesus, however, his style is far more suited to that of how the way Arsenal want to play. I was a little bit disappointed that Jesus didn't start the game yesterday. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Jesus start in that front three and given the outlets that we had in attack, see what that team would have produced with Odegaard and Havertz behind Jesus. But I guess we'll have to wait to see what happens with that one. Um, Fouad says, hey Tom, I agree with your take on Eddie. My thinking is that he will get moved on next season as we've concentrated on the other positions and we'll concentrate on the striker position maybe next season. Maybe. Maybe. That's what we'll have to wait and see. Um... Let's go to Richardson's. I don't think Arteta's job rests on performances of one player, but I think that will turn out to be a terrible signing. Um, I assume that's in relation to Havertz. We'll have to wait and see. Only time will tell. You know, I'm not making any judgments now in or in not even August, July, on a player that's only been playing uh, has only played three-ish games in pre-season. I'll hold my judgment until the course of the season is finished. People jump on players far too quickly. People are saying that Fabio Vieira should be sold. You know, I'm very much in a case of giving players two seasons, seeing how they adapt, see how they change. But I am also in a position where I say that you should be playing your best players in certain games. And if Kai Havertz is not doing that, then obviously we should be playing different players. But you have to hold judgment. I mean, for those that think that this is a terrible signing so far, it's, you're very brave. I've said this before. Very, very brave indeed. Um, Vegas Gunner, thank you so much for the kind donation. Hi, Tom. Hypothetically, if we were to shop in Ketia, how much of a stumbling block is his salary and how much would we work around that issue? It's not a stumbling block. £100,000 per week for a striker in the Premier League is a very normal amount of money, especially for one that's homegrown in that age bracket playing for Arsenal. It's not a stumbling block at all. I think the wage is something that is completely over-exaggerated also. Stuart Armstrong at Southampton was on £65,000 per week, you know, last year. If you look at other strikers in the league, they're on very similar wage packets for that age profile. So the wage is not a problem. Uh, I was having discussions with people last night about how much they think Nketiah would go for. Amazingly, some people thought he would be going for something like £40 million. And yet when asked for kind of a comparable example, there wasn't one. Um... I think that £25 million is probably a fair representation of the value that you'd get from Nketiah in this market under this contract, being homegrown to maybe another Premier League side. But anything more than £25 million would be a massive bonus, I think. Um, Mohamed says, Hey Tom, Arteta's club, uh, Arteta slash club's mind on Balogun is already made up. No, he's not playing so that doesn't play and maybe shine and complicate things as they are set in selling him. I don't think him playing complicates things at all, to be honest, Basher. If anything, it would help them sell him and increase his market value. It, again, I'm kind of going to wait a little bit now with the Balogun comments until after Barcelona. He might play in that game. And if he plays a significant chunk of that game, then fair enough. He's been given an opportunity. If Inketia starts again, or if Inketia gets more minutes again than Balogun in the next game, something to be said. Something to be said about that. AFC Cape Town says, have we had any links for Kudus to Arsenal besides Sammy Mockbell's tweet? Yes, we have. Charles Watts reporting that Arsenal do indeed have a very real interest in the player. So yes, we have had more than just that tweet. Uh, front yard says, Tom, I have to say Timber grew into the game. It may be his fitness right now as it's preseason, but he needs to get back quicker. I thought he was way too slow. Didn't That didn't register for me. Uh, I may have just missed that in trying to cover the blog uh, for the minute by minute, but it didn't register for me. I thought defensively there were some really good moments from Timber. 
but maybe I missed that part of it, uh, front yard. I would have to look back specifically at his performance again. Uh, Jonah says, hey, Tom, is there even any striker out there for a reasonable price this window? No, this window is not very good for strikers. This is not the window to try and find the striker that you're going to invest in for the next five to six years, which is why I kind of want us to see investment in Balogun. Because I just think we've got a 20-plus goal a season striker there that's proven that in Liga for a team that you wouldn't expect a striker to be getting that many goals for. And I'd like us to see us invest some time. We know what we get from Nketiah. We know what Nketiah is going to give you. We gave him really good amount of minutes at the end of the last season before 22-23 and 21-22. And we gave him a really good stint in the team last season where he scored four Premier League goals and then did little else, and eventually was replaced by Leandro Trossard before Jesus came back. I'd rather Trossard was given minutes at centre-forward at this point. I feel like Trossard was given a bit of a harsh ride in being taken out of that role, and then Nketiah preferred to him. I'd rather invest minutes in either one of Balogun or Trossard over Eddie Nketiah at this moment in time going into a brand new season. It's just where I see that dynamic at the moment. Um... Shari, Jesse, uh, or Shari, Jesse, uh, apologies if I've mispronounced your name. Uh, I agree with your starting assessment, Tom. I feel like Arteta is looking closely at Eddie and is coming to terms with probably having to move him on. I'm not sure if if he is, you know. I'm not sure if he is coming to terms with having to move him on. I feel like he's really just giving him every single opportunity possible, um, which I get managers do all the time. But I just feel like we have options that I'd rather see an investment of more minutes being given to and that's sadly just not happening uh, ian says thoughts on putting eddie on the wing has the same impact as he does when he comes off the bench zero zero goals in 18 games for him there don't have any desire to see eddie and ketia start in a wide position personally um humphrey says hey tom don't you think that we lost the game mainly due to the lack of a proper press by the midfielders especially with kai havertz also notice the left side suffered as a result as well the reason why we lost yesterday's game, there's a number of reasons. Bullet points. Didn't take our chance in the first 20 minutes. Exposed defensively with the long ball, which is something that we obviously lacked kind of combat to last season. Um, mistakes at the back. Obviously, Gabriel's mistake, which led to uh, Jaden Sancho's goal and Aaron Ramsdale's goalkeeping for the first goal. You can definitely point to those individual errors as part of the reason why we didn't win yesterday's game. Um, I think there was something about the physicality of Manchester United that maybe did not knock our confidence, but certainly I think maybe took us a bit by surprise in the sense that it was only a friendly and yet they were booting us up and down the field. And I look forward to seeing us play Man United in a game with a proper referee that you'd hope would referee the game far better than yesterday's. And I don't want to be that guy, <laughs> but I am going to say something that's going to be about that guy. Um, you know, you know, Take on my inner tie, if you will. Uh, but the, the the pitch was dreadful. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. I really don't. But I feel like it's worth mentioning. For a team that wants to play slick passing football with the ball on the floor, it really was not good. Uh, and for the team that wanted to play a bit more long uh, and chuck the ball over the top, it suited them a lot more in that environment. So uh, I'm going to say it. It was really terrible. <laughs> I'm laughing saying it because I, you, you'll never get me right. In a Premier League game, you're never going to get me saying it's anything to do with the pitch or the rain or anything. You're just never going to get me saying that. 
But in that preseason friendly, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I really, really am. Um, J-Man says, hey, Tom, who would be your number one realistic world-class striker if we could sign to play with uh, or instead of Jesus? This summer, I just don't think there is one, a realistic one. I just don't think there is. You're saying that I can have any striker to bring in that would give us a world-class kind of output. Obviously, Ozzyman would. But realistically, are you going to sign someone like him? Probably not. He's going to cost you 150 odd million quid. I think we should wait until 2024 and then just offer a big contract to Kylian Mbappe. That's what we should do, <laughs> you know. Um, but again, I just don't see that being realistic either. Um, Cody says, is Chelsea going to be as good as I think this season? They seem to be starting to gel and new signings like Jackson is banging in the goals with build-up, uh, with scary build-up play. Uh, he's a good player. Uh, I look, I don't look forward to seeing it. I, I look ahead with intrigue at what Chelsea might do this season under Pochettino. They are going to be a better machine than they were last season because frankly, that's a good terminology. Frankly, uh, last season, they were dreadful. And it was really, they could only get better. Trim the team down, bring in some players like Jackson and Kunku and see what happens. So let us see what happens um, next season with Chelsea. But, you know, there's still a lot of improvement needed in that side as well. Um, let's go to Richard, who says, on the pitch, it's weird that it was in that bad of a state. They play MLS games there or something. They haven't been any NFL games on it since January. I don't know. Uh, I really, really don't know. Mark says apparently they painted parts of the pitch yesterday. Wow. Uh, if that's true, Mark, that's pretty incredible. Uh, <laughs> I do like Kola Moani, but I don't think he's world-class. Um, so the question was kind of which world-class striker would you sign? And that's the thing is I don't think there are that many accessible world-class strikers on the market at the moment. And that's the problem that we've got. Gabriel Jesus, by the way, I look at as a player with world-class levels of quality. So if you're going to find someone to replace him, it's got to be someone that you think has got a higher ceiling than him or someone that can give you something immediately straight away. Um Let's go to uh, Penny Wings. Says, if Muddy Rick has any good season, we will have regrets. Question mark. No. Chelsea massively, massively overspent in the initial phase and we did the right thing. We might not be getting Declan Rice if we've made all that investment in, in Mudrick. So, you know, it's swings and roundabouts. I'd much rather have Declan Rice in the team than Mudrick, it's fair to say. Um, let's go to Benji says, Tom, we should try and grab Saar from Watford as a backup for Saka. What are your thoughts? Not for me. I don't think he's of the required level. Maybe two years ago would have been a decent option, but not now. I think that the, the market has moved on from, uh, from his male as Saar. So he's not the, the player. Um, Suna says, mate, Colin Moani, uh, is more world-class than Haaland. Well, Sunan is a big, big fan of Colin Moani. Wrong. But a big, big fan. Uh, Jonas says, did we miss a gem in Musa Diaby? No, Jonas, uh, I don't think we did. Uh, I think Musa Diaby is a, is a really good player, but stylistically does not give you the same um, kind of defensive output, the that side of the game. And where is he going to play? You know, the question mark is you need to bring in a player that's going to be more akin to playing off of the bench at times. It's going to be playing in rotation. I think Kudus is certainly that. And if you watch our tactical breakdown on Mohamed Kudus, we talked, me and Drew, at length about the dynamic between Diaby and Kudus and why Diaby probably wasn't the best option for Arsenal and why we're interested more so in a player like Mohamed Kudus. Um, let's go to... Bum, 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 bum. Franklin says, Notice how Tom said Gabriel Jesus has world-class quality, but not a world-class striker. Um, okay, I think he's a world-class striker. 
<laughs> I, I do. I do think he's a world-class striker. Uh, Izzy says, fans writing off Gabby J are ridiculous. We scored 88 goals last season. Six less than City, who are apparently the perfect nine. Whole Jesus missed three months a season. He is a top, top player. Again, I've said this before. When I say he's got world-class quality, I'm calling him a world-class player. It's the same thing. I just use different words to describe it. I think he's world-class. I think that he's changed and did change Arsenal last season with that world-class quality. And I think given the full season, he would have been getting close to 20 Premier League goals. Um, so let's see what he does this season because um, I'm very excited to see the continuation of Gabby Jesus in an Arsenal shirt, the continuation of his development and integration into this Arsenal team. And I look forward to hopefully seeing him improve plenty of people wrong. Uh, Yasser says, do you think yesterday's game was the confirmation Partey must absolutely stay? I think that we've been saying, and I've been saying for some time, that my preference is for Partey to stay. I would understand if they got a really, really big bid that they couldn't say no to. I get that. But from my perspective, the, the benefit of keeping Partey on the field with Rice is much, much better than letting him go, no matter what kind of figure you got in. Even though I'd have an understanding of it, I just think keeping him. Is, is much, much better uh, for us. Uh, Nigel says, Tom, you're going to be watching the Open today. I'm actually really busy today. I'm at Aqua Park today. Going to be doing some uh, rather tiring water activities and then going to watch Oppenheimer in the cinema a little bit later on this afternoon as well. So I'm very, very busy and I won't unfortunately be able to watch, but I am going to put it on records and probably catch the highlights if I can't get around to watching the whole thing. Um, but I have been catching little bits of it, um, but not enough unfortunately. Uh, Izzy says, in your opinion, would you start the game against Nottingham Forest with the trusted back four of Wyatt, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko? Thomas, just for consistency, Rice and Timber need time. Um, I would make changes from our uh, con our usual lineup. Our Rice comes absolutely straight in. Um, I would start Rice tomorrow if we were playing Nottingham Forest. And I'd start Trossard, I think, instead of Havertz right now. I think Trossard has shown me more at this moment in time. And then I'd swap Havertz out and give him some minutes gradually. But I think Trossard has been the better of the two. And I think you need to play your best players personally. Um, so I'd play Trossard and Odegaard with Rice as the midfield three, um, and then potentially bring on Partey later. We have got, you know, big games coming up almost immediately. You know, we've got, I think, Spurs, Man United and Man City really on during the season. And that's where we'll see Rice and Partey probably play together. So I think it's important to, to ensure that you've got rotation and changes. In terms of the back four, if Zinchenko's fit, he plays absolutely adore and love Zinchenko, you know. And yes, I would keep the back four the same if Zinchenko's fit. If he's not fit, that changes things because I think Timber has to then come in and then you can play one of either Tierney or Tomiyasu or Kivior, who I've really enjoyed watching play um, at left-back. We've got options and that's what's really, really key about Arteta's learning curve and development as a coach this season is that he as a manager has got to be able to utilise his squad. And he has got to learn how to rotate and get the best from his players in rotation. And that is going to be a big, big evolution and a big, big challenge this season. Um, Thibaut Pestis, what did you think of United? I wasn't impressed. Um, I wasn't impressed. And I'm not, I know that might come across really salty because we lost the game, but I wasn't impressed. Um, I looked at those teams. Frankly, Arsenal should be beating that team. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that Arsenal should be winning that game. And I think there's a lot of factors as to the reason why we didn't. Um, I just wasn't impressed by Manchester United at all. Um, I, I, I don't know what more to say. You know, Mount didn't really stand out. Um, I thought their goals came from obviously individual errors. Um, and physically, they won't get away with the stuff that they got away with in that game. 
just was not impressed with Manchester United at all. Um, and of the two sides, I still look at Arsenal as far more exciting coming away from that game, regardless of the scoreline. And that's what preseason is all about. You know, preseason is less about the result and it's more so about the performance and looking at what you can learn from those games. And the performance wasn't great. Um, but I come away from that game knowing which team are more likely to get more points this season. And it's not Man United based upon that game. It's just it's just not. Adrian says, Ivan Tony on deadline day. No, can't play for six months. Uh, Kingsley says, uh, Rice has not shown any quality so far. What? I'm worried. Our midfield has been ridiculous and I don't think Kai will succeed at Arsenal and the earlier Arteta recognises it and just the better. Rice hasn't shown any any quality. I can't. I can barely entertain. I really, I really struggle with hyperbole like this. Like, I, I can't entertain it. Like the quickness of passing, the speed, the progression, the reading of the game, the interception he made. I think it was around the. Uh, it was around what minute was it? I think I've got it on record in my scout piece that I did on Declan Rice. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, boom, boom, boom. Unfortunately, I don't think. Uh, yeah, 21st minute. Um, no, sorry, the second minute, right? In the second minute, there was an interception by Rice where he read the game really well, picked up a loose ball, played the ball forwards. Then in the box, in the 21st minute, Declan Rice really well reading uh, a kind of an attack down the right-hand side. Man United tried to cut back across and he moved into the right position to intercept it. He had more interceptions last season than any other Premier League player. And in that half, he's, he showed two of those interceptions in that game, which ironically is about the average of what he was doing per game, back to a game, two per 90. I just I can't understand it. I, I sometimes think that people watch different games and just ignore everything. And because we lost the game, it's really easy to go, Rice didn't show anything, did he? We lost. And I'm like... What? Like, I think maybe because obviously I watched the game and watched Rice in more detail because I did a scouting piece on him for the game that I saw things that maybe the person just watching the whole game more generally didn't. I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I really, really don't understand what people miss in games. Um, Clint says, Tom, in your opinion, is Rice a better player than Partey? If so, how do you justify that? I think it comes down to style and position in terms of what you want from a player. I think they're different players. I think if you want a player that's better defensively and that's going to shield your back four more, you want Rice. If you want a player that adds a little bit more dynamism, a little bit more flexibility, uh, a bit more, I want to say mobility, because as soon as you say like one player is good at one thing, it gives the impression that the other player is not good at the other thing, which is a lot of horse. You know, it's just, it's just not, it's just not the reality. I think that there are characteristics in both players that are higher in one than the other defensively rice dynamically parte you know but both players still are good defensively and both players are still good in a dynamic technical sense i think that there are when you're going to play a system which leaves you with two attacking midfielders against some oppositions rice is the better player to go for and then when you're going up against teams where perhaps you're going to have less of the ball um, away from home and field, you might want to go with Partey and Rice. But I lean towards Partey, uh, I lean towards, sorry, Rice being the starter because stylistically and structurally, you want a player with Rice's ability defensively to anchor that midfield with two attack-minded midfielders ahead of him than you do a Partey. So 
I just think that that is the reason why you would start Rice over Partey in more games because stylistically he's going to suit this evolution of the midfield more so than Partey does. It's also worth pointing out that Rice was consistent across all of last season, was available for all of last season, and Partey obviously his form was a little bit, not even a little bit, a lot more, it fluctuated a lot more. Um, Rice, I think, is a more consistent player than what um, Partey is, but I think Partey's current output at the maximum level is higher than that of Rice. So you're taking a bit of a gamble more so when you play Partey with what Partey you're going to get, whereas with Rice you get more guarantees about what output you're going to get, but we'll have to wait and see. I think there are a lot of people that are very, very... Like, I can see a comment already. Uh, Eshazona who says, please stop it. Partey is better than Rice, period. I think people get very, very proud about individual players that they like. And I'm not going to stop people from doing that. You know, I get people to like what they like. But you can't ignore how good a player is like Rice and what he brings stylistically and in the context of certain 11s and in the context of Arsenal. Individually, who's the better player right now? You know, if you were playing top trumps, you'd probably say Partey. But this isn't top trumps. And this is not a situation of one player versus another. It's how one player fits into a certain system and how one player fits into a certain team more smoothly. And in terms, especially of how this midfield is changing for us at the moment, that is rice. So that's kind of where we're at. So Clincy, I hope that gives you the answer to the question you were hoping for. Um, both players are great. And that's what you need to remember is that both players are world-class in my opinion. And that we having two world-class midfielders is going to give us a lot of options and a lot of decisions and a lot of depth next season. And that's what's key, is that having both players is great. And having both of those players with that level of quality is a big asset to this team. We don't have to do Rice versus Partey. Like, we don't have to do that. And I don't like people that want to do that, to create division, create debate, create this split. You don't need to do that. You know, I, I like the idea that we've got two great players that fit two different scenarios and give us loads of different options. Um, that's what I prefer to look at it as, is that we've got two world-class midfielders that we can use at will in different situations, in different contexts. That's what I'm looking forward to. Why do we have to do, is Rice better than Partey? It's boring. So boring. It's like a school ground. I don't need it. I'd just rather talk about the fact that We've got two great players in this team going forwards, and that's what's most important. Um, Cody says, hashtag Arteta route. How long is it going to be until that starts again? No word of a lie. There was comments last night on social media saying Arteta's got to go. Like serious ones, like from genuinely serious people. I'm not talking about the trolls. I'm talking about people that have led and written a well-thought-out tweet that they genuinely believe that he should go. <laughs> honestly um red rain says just because clubs were interested in kai doesn't mean he's a worldie <laughs> i don't understand why you'd leave that comment uh Melissa says is Havertz really a starter he really downgraded our midfield making rice look bad and the whole midfield's weak against the weaker man united thing is Partey, rice and Odegaard should be the main starting three in certain games, I think, yes. But if we want to evolve the midfield into a team that played a bit like City, where they blew teams away with a absolute gargantuan amount of goals from all over the field. And yes, we had that as well last season to a degree. But we can evolve this midfield more. 
people like yourself, Melissa, and thousands of others have been saying that Granite Xhaka is the player that you can upgrade upon, is the player that you can take out to put a different player in, to take your team to a different level from a goal-scoring perspective and give yourself more dominance and more threat. And it absolutely is. Even though Granite Xhaka was great, and I would have preferred that he stayed, but at the same time, if we are going to evolve this midfield, he was always going to be the player that was going to be the one that was replaced, that was upgraded upon. It was always going to be him. And Havertz is a risk. And I've said that from the moment that we signed him, that Havertz is a risk. Thankfully, he's not the only player that we've got that can play there because I think that Trossard's done really well. And I think that Smith-Rowe can potentially play there as well. And let's just wait and see what happens with that role. Let's just wait and see what Havertz does as well. So before we start saying he's downgraded our midfield, which is frankly ludicrous because we're in pre-season and we still haven't seen anything in terms of like a longer term. Everyone wants quick reward. Everyone wants a quick buck. Everyone wants a quick solution. Everyone wants to see immediate results. That's what people want. Unfortunately, that's not what you're always going to get. You're not always going to get the immediate response, the immediate reaction that you might want to see, especially for a player that's been out of the loop for the last at least year to two years and has not been playing at the best form, but we know has absolute bundles of quality and that when he, he is on form and he does get his confidence back and when we do get the right system playing and he has learned where his teammates are and his teammates have learned the partnerships and new dynamics, that's when I'll judge him. After a period of time in which he's been given the opportunity to assimilate into this side, that's when I'll judge him. And that's not a time where you go back saying, hey, look, Tom, I was right. Havertz is terrible. No, you started off on the wrong foot. You started off on the wrong position, the wrong square. You start on the position of waiting and seeing what happens in a player. You wait to see what might happen. You see how they develop. What can you glean from the early appearances? What positives can we get? How can the manager get the maximum from them? And then you go, if it's not worked, look, there were doubts at the beginning. It was a risk of a signing. And it's not paid off. And that will fall on the manager most of all, because the manager, Arteta, is the one that made this risk. He chose Havertz. He chose him as a player. The whole I told you so and desperately wanted to die on a sword of like, I tell, I told you Havertz was going to be bad. Like, it's just not it. It's really, I find it really socially awkward as a position to start at. So I'd much rather start in a position of, let's just wait and see. It's a risk. We can all see it's a risk, but let's let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what happens. Let's wait and see what you can do. And if it turns out he's great, great. If it turns out he's not, it's not worked, we move on, we'll do something else. But absolutely it's worth doing. Uh, Panos says, Havertz is not a box-to-box midfielder. How on earth Arteta is playing a 4-3-3 of one DM and two tens? What kind of midfield is that? I don't... The, the, con- the, the contradiction there is that if you recognise the midfield as having two tens and then saying that Havertz is not box-to-box, that contradicts itself because you can't say that he's playing with two tens and then saying we're using him as a box-to-box. Either he's a 10 or he's an eight box-to-box. And for me, he's kind of somewhere in between an eight-ten hybrid. He's somewhere in between that kind of two. I don't think you can fit him in a specific box. I don't think you can call him a 10. I don't think you can talk call him an 8. I think what Havertz is going to play is a certain style of Xhaka's role. It's just, it's just more advanced, more evolved, more um, advanced. 
and it's just it's not Xhaka, and that's why I stopped calling it the Xhaka role because you you can't call it that because Xhaka role is Xhaka. This is going to be the Havertz role. He isn't a box to box player, but he's not playing that role. Does he have defensive responsibilities? Yes. Is he going to have to get back and defend at times? Yes. Is he a box to box midfielder? No. Football's not binary. Yes, we have labels. Yes, we have different names for different positions and different roles in the team. But not always do we have to stick to them explicitly. It just doesn't work that way. And so Rice, Rice, what he's going to bring to this team overall, once he is adapted and once we've got this system worked out and once the defence has learned um, this new style, is that we're going to see improvement. Manchester City last season took a long time at the start of the campaign to adapt, to change, to adjust, to eventually tweaking things until John Stones was seen as the right player to give them the, give them that kind of midfield boost from the position he played, from playing Gundogan and Silva in certain positions. But Bernardo Silva started at left-back against us, don't forget. And it took, it took Pep Guardiola half a season, really, at least a third minimum and then beyond, to adapt to that Man City team. And that cost them points. And it gave Arsenal a bit of a head start because they were losing points. They were adjusting and adapting the way in which they played because changes were made. And Man City might have that again this season because they've lost some really key players this summer. Arsenal are in a a similar position. And we are going to have to hopefully, over the first 10 games of this season, if we want to compete for the title, you probably got to win seven, eight, nine. Probably we won nine of our first 10. Um, And we were in the title. It's going to be a real challenge to do that again this season because of the evolution of this midfield at the start. And we have got a hope that that evolution is swifter and that we can see results turn around. But we've got some real tough games in those first 10. And we're going to have to see if indeed we can carry through form, if we can build up in the next. We've got Barca, we've got Monaco, and then we've got City in the Community Shield. And we're going to have to see if we can use these three games to help with this evolution, help with this adjustment, but I don't like the contradictions of saying one player is this and then, but we're playing him as this. It doesn't work. It does not work at all. Uh, Seb says, I'd like to see us play with two strikers just once. We need a plan B or C even when things, uh, when we need a goal. Uh, well, I think that obviously Jesus came on and Ketia was still on the field. So technically we did play with two strikers yesterday. Um, it just didn't really work the way I think that people wanted it to. Um, Cass says, unfortunately, Tom, that's what fans want, uh, to see their team win, every, uh, win, even though it's a friendly. I didn't see the game, to be honest, but I'm not losing my mind over this. Nottingham Forest results is important. As I said, the scoreline is less important, but obviously I like to win games because it helps build momentum, and that's key. But always, always, the performance is going to be more key in pre-season what you take from the game, what you need to learn from the game. Make the mistakes now. Have the poor showings now. Because if you have them during the season, you'll get punished and it'll cost you. You don't get you don't get kicked in the teeth during well, unless you're on the end of you know Martinez's boot, for instance. But you don't get kicked in the teeth in the same way in preseason at all. It's all about lessons, it's all about learning. And Arteta is a coach and Edu is a sporting director as a group. This club has shown that they learn. This club is a is an institution of learning learning from mistakes, learning what needs to change. And sometimes it's taken too long. But I think the longer Arteta's tenure has gone on, those lessons have come faster and the adaption has come quicker and we have reacted to things much faster in the last year, certainly. And so I'm hoping to see an improvement in what we've seen so far and I'm hoping to see changes being made 
in the coming weeks and as we go into the system season i'm optimistic about what it might bring anyway it was always going to be a longer one this morning because i felt like after a defeat we always have a lot more to talk about and a lot more to discuss and a lot more nerves to settle um i hope that we've managed to do that in some sense uh, if you've disagreed or agreed with anything that we've talked about today please leave your comments down below i always appreciate when people leave their explanations behind their points it's much better and much more engageable if, if that's even a word uh if you do leave your explanations behind your points that would be very much appreciated rather than Havertz is bad rice isn't good enough you know tell me your reasons as to why and i'd love to hear some solutions as well solutions is always good really easy to you know, sit and moan, but I'd love hearing solutions. So let's try and see that in the comment section if we can after today's game, uh, after today's show, rather. Uh, as I did mention, you can still get tickets for our live event in London. We'll be doing a live podcast in uh, London on the 13th of August at the Mulde May Club in Newington Green, the day after the game against Nottingham Forest, the Sunday. Uh, I'll be joined by Harry Simeon, FK from Latte Firm, Mike Feinberg and Bailey Keogh. So do get your tickets. There is a link in the description if you would like to grab those. But thank you everyone for listening and tuning in. Drop a like on the video, even if you haven't indeed agreed with everything I've said. That's fine. It's football. Opinions is what's important. Drop a like, subscribe. See you soon. Have a fantastic Sunday. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.